Good morning again. When was the last time you used this phrase? I seriously doubt that. Have you used that phrase recently? I think sometimes we can have serious doubts with sometimes it's a healthy skepticism. Sometimes it can be a a toxic uh, skepticism. I was thinking of uh, a few of the perspectives like advertisement. When I hear a phrase, this changed my life in terms of a product, I think I have a a healthy skepticism. And I say, I seriously doubt that 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 facial cream changed the trajectory of your life, right? There's that idea. Whenever I hear that, you know, life-altering because of a product, I have a healthy skepticism, I think. Politics, I think sometimes I have a healthy skepticism and sometimes a not-so-healthy skepticism, especially campaign promises. Unfortunately, we're entering into that season. And to hear a campaign promise, I often think in my head, whether I say it out loud, I seriously doubt that. I think you're just saying that to get me to vote for you, right? Faith. And the journey of faith, I think doubt is a part of that. Sometimes that doubt can be a healthy skepticism, a very real and authentic wrestling with God. Other times it can be a toxic skepticism. It can be a barrier. And I think part of the journey is discerning between those two. And if we are wrestling with doubts, that we're real and authentic and open about those doubts. Especially in the area of healing ministry, which we've been talking about, Natalie mentioned, we've been in the series of healing ministry. I have found that doubt is one of the barriers and one of the struggles that I have, that many people have as they press into to praying for healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational healing for people. Who of us that are not pressing into that haven't had our prayers feel like they've been unanswered, where we've not seen the results of our praying? And that can lead to doubt or struggle or concern. This passage this morning, I think, is so crucial for our series because it's wrestling with, one, some unsuccessful prayers on the apostles' part, and then two, what I would see as a healthy doubt, an expressed healthy unbelief, and to see how that is handled by by Jesus and and the apostles and the Father who who prays that I think is is incredibly instructive for you and I. So let's turn to that story. We find the story in Mark chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles at home close by, I guess you can't pause the video. It's live. But grab the Bible and find Mark 9 starts out with what is known as this important moment of the transfiguration. It's where Jesus brings his, uh, what's known as his inner circle, Peter, James, John, the most sacred of friends. They go up to a mountain 
And before their very eyes, Jesus is transformed into his true form, full of glory. It's a beautiful moment. But while Peter, James, and John and Jesus are up there, the other nine, the nine apostles, are doing kingdom ministry. They're doing the stuff. And as they're praying, as they're driving out demons, as they're seeing healing and all those kind of things, there's some trouble that starts to brew. In fact, they pray for someone and their prayers are not successful. They don't see this uh, deliverance happen. And just in that moment, while all this is happening and they're arguing with the religious leaders and, and so forth, and there's this great stir, Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain and join the other nine apostles. So we pick it up in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, the other nine, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, brought him to the apostles, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Listen to Jesus' response, verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind 
can come out only by prayer and fasting. People of God, that is the word of God. I appreciate this story for so many reasons. One is that the story, this is the story where we see the apostles, nine of them, that they are not successful in their prayers and their wondering and there's an authenticity to it. I appreciate someone who has often not seen my prayers, especially for healing answered. I appreciate this moment in the lives of the apostles in particular. And to ask that question, why? What's going on? What's happening? And I really appreciate the Father's prayer, the the Father's confession, and the Father's request. Jesus, he's in the scene, and you've got the, the, the demonic spirit doing its thing, and yet Jesus, as he always does, calmly is asking questions. And what we've seen again over and over in the life of Jesus is that he's not asking questions because he doesn't know stuff or he's just kind of gaining information. What is he doing? He's seeking to pull out faith and belief. He's probing for that faith because he understands that faith is so crucial. And as he asks and pulls out of the Father, there is a reveal of his unbelief. There's a reveal of his doubts. The father says in answering Jesus' question, well, if you can do anything, would would you have pity? And and then Jesus has, I like to call this moment, the the one moment, the, the Robert De Niro taxi driver moment in the life of Jesus. Jesus says, are you talking to me? I'm paraphrasing here. He says, if, did did you say if to me? Is that really? He brings out and he helps the father recognize that he just said if to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus speaks in this beautiful kingdom truth and reality, and he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. He says, not because of you, not because of of what you've got, but because of the one you believe in, because anything is possible with my Father. If you just get rid of that if, if you'd address that doubt, and allow the Father to work, anything is possible. I think this is a model for us of how we can wrestle with our doubts or our obstacles to faith. In faith, not just healing ministry, but all of faith. When, when we have those, those hip, hiccups, those difficulties, the, those stumblings, that, that what the Father does here, I think, is this beautiful model, so simple for us. Models, the Father, I think, models in a couple of different ways. One, he says this, is that he's real and authentic about his doubt, or another way to say that is he brings his doubt directly 
to Jesus. As I was working on the sermon, I kept thinking about Peter. In fact, there's a little bit of Peter and and a water motif of of Peter. Most of us know the story of of Peter's denial, right? Where Jesus is going through his passion, and in the moment that he needs his sacred friends the most, they abandon him. Even his inner three, even, even Peter and and James and John, they, they scatter, and Peter, Peter, bold Peter, strong Peter, three times, he denies Jesus. Three times, the rooster crows. Most of us know that story. Well, well Jesus, he is resurrected, and before he ascends to the throne, he spends 40 days where he starts appearing to the disciples and to others. And there's that moment, and they're, they're affirming the resurrection, but there's this moment in, in the midst of those resurrection appearances prior to, just before ascension, that he's showing up. But there's still this issue, even during those 40 days, there's this issue between Jesus and Peter. There's this issue of denial. And Jesus keeps appearing to the apostles, the disciples, and yet he hasn't addressed what's between them yet. And, and it seems like the testimony of Scripture is that, that Peter knows this. Peter is aware that he's got to address this great denial and abandonment. And we're told of a, a story where the, the apostles don't really know what to do. They're, they're seeing these appearances and they haven't experienced Pentecost yet. And so they... Uh, they, they're fishing. They go back to what they know. They're fishing, get some food, get some money. And Jesus appears on the shore. And I have uh, in, in the outline what happens. It says in John 21, the, the, disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. He, everybody sees Jesus on the shore. And John says, hey, by the way, Peter, that's the Lord. And look at what Peter says. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, right, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. They were gathering fish in this moment. And Peter, if, if, the, if Jesus had a Robert De Niro moment, this was the Forrest Gump moment for Peter. He just wraps his cloak and he's just off in the boat and he's going towards Jesus while the other disciples are pulling in this, uh, this fish, right? So he gets to Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, Peter, help them with the fish. We'll resolve this. And then, as many of you know, they, Jesus eats a piece of fish and then he talks with Peter. He takes this moment just with Peter and, and he asks him three times, do you love me? And, and what he does is he reinstates Peter. But here's the, here's the thing that I love about Peter's Forrest Gump moment. He trusts Jesus enough to bring to him his stumblings, his struggles, his difficulties. When he, 
when, when he denied Jesus in that very moment, that he could have, he could have thought, oh, my, it's done, my faith is over, it's just condemnation by Jesus. But Peter doesn't do that. He knows Jesus enough that Jesus is not about condemnation, but about restoration. And so he takes his stumblings, even his denial, and he brings it to Jesus. Again, I think that is a huge, beautiful model and invitation for us to be real about our stumblings, our struggles, our doubts, our sin, and trust Jesus enough that Jesus is not about condemnation, but he's about restoration and healing, spiritual renewal that we could bring even the worst of us, our sin and stumbling, and bring it to Jesus and trust him to restore us and renew us. I think early in my faith, I used to try and like hide my sin and hide my doubts and keep my struggles from him as if he wouldn't know if I didn't tell him. And when I began to bring my struggles, even my doubts about the, the Christian faith and this thing, scripture, even my, my struggles and my sin, as I brought them to Jesus, I realized his desire was restoration not condemnation. And he helped me journey along. We've heard some beautiful testimonies um, in this series, and and I wanted to invite um, a dear saint among us, Merit Lynn Moose. She's been part of our our congregation for about seven or eight years. And, And Marilyn Mary Lynn has has really wrestled through um, one of the hardest uh, things in this this life, the loss of a child. She lost a a daughter, Carrie, and I've I've really had tremendous admiration for Mary Lynn as despite that deep struggle and that difficulty, Um, She has continued to journey with the Lord, with the community of faith, and and to really model bringing struggle, bringing difficulty to the Lord and to the community of faith and living her faith. And I asked if she was willing to share just a a little bit of her journey and and testimony, and she said yes. So we have this... uh, testimony and conversation, my conversation with her. Watch this for a moment. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Eric. Hey, thank you again uh, for taking the time uh, to share a little bit of your testimony and your journey. Appreciate it very, very much. Would you tell us a little bit about Carrie and, uh, and what happened? Well, um, she was a 
incredibly dynamic person from the moment of her birth. In her early teens, she was definitely op oppositional defiant disorder, mm -hmm. which, <laughs> as you probably well know, is a very difficult issue to work with. Um, mm -hmm. You don't tell anybody with that what they do <laughs> because there's going to be opposition. They so do the opposite of what you say. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Um, she also dropped out of high school. Um, age 19, she moved in with a boyfriend, got pregnant, and left him and moved home. <laughs> and uh, age 20, Sarah was born, and from that moment, her life was set on forward and upward. In her paramedic career, she was very intuitive, very awarded. She had multiple successful saves and awards, including a Distinguished Service Medal from the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, May 2013, she had, um, she was in a backseat passenger in a car accident and um, MRI showed a tear, not typical rotator cuff, but anyway, that precipitated eight and a half months of oxy products and PT instead of surgery right away and end of PT or end of oxy. Um, the result being that that long of an oxy course of drugs um, creates uh, a dependence on, on it for sleep. Yeah. She couldn't sleep. Yeah. She couldn't sleep. Um, she had a number of social and emotional traumas to, too numerous to list. Yeah. 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 Tell us, tell us a little bit, uh, Marilyn, about the when we lost Carrie, and how that happened. Well, she died March twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen. Um, when you haven't slept for for that long, you hit the wall. Yeah. Well, she took everything she could to find could find to to end that that. That, to end that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, anyway, the amazing support that was instantly available, it still warms my heart. You were there as pastoral and spiritual um, and physical presence. Uh, mm -hmm. Carrie's neighbor, a dear friend to Carrie and I, Carrie and me, came and I cried the depths of my soul on mm -hmm. her. <laughs> cried out the depths of my soul on her. Yeah. A colleague of Carrie's came and said something about the funeral service that was being planned by the first responders, and I cried even more at that outpouring of support. Mm -hmm. Carrie was loved. So many people have shared losing, uh, losing <clears throat> son or daughter, losing a child is, is perhaps the hardest thing to do in this life and mm -hmm. uh, can often be very, very taxing on the faith. Can you talk a little bit about your faith journey? I have ad admired uh, your continued journey and walk with the Lord and and pressing through some of those things. Would you talk a little bit about your your journey from that point on? Yeah. Well, um, and, and with this, I have to um, say that... Um, We both knew that Carrie was in heaven because of her meeting with you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we knew that then, 
and I know that now. Yeah, yeah. And a few weeks after she died, um, 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm awakened by, awake my soul and sing. On and on, awake my soul and sing, awake my whole soul and sing. And then three weeks later, um, we're singing that in church. Now, we're not prone to singing the old hymns, but there we are singing it in church. Uh, oh, okay, God, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you felt some of the, the his, um, his words of comfort and strength in the midst of that through those instances. Yeah. yeah. Maryland, just to let folks know that I, prior to losing her, she had met with me and, and, and really a, a beautiful, authentic uh, conversation that we had. She re recommitted her life to Christ, um, mm -hmm. which was a, a, a neat thing, and, and I know provided tremendous comfort for me in that process, and, mm -hmm. and as you said, I think for you and others, Sarah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I, I totally believe that you know, Carrie's appointment with you that early that March was God was already moving ahead of the future mm. um, already, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I might add, too, that Sarah's invitation uh, to church that day was easily uh, accepted by, by Carrie, whereas in the past it was just kind of schluffed off. Yeah. So divine appointment. Yeah. You were able to look yeah. back and see some of God's orchestration in preparation yes. of that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yes, losing a child is nothing any parent should go through. Mm. So anyway, I had many Sundays with heavy tears and many deep prayers and many uh, Sunday prayer times with the Sunday prayer teams. Uh, you know, that was, um, that was a strong grip of my faith and my being able to step forward and continue, uh, continue on um, mm -hmm. in faith. Some some struggles, some doubts, some wondering, some moments of. I'm I'm guessing I'd have to say yes, but brief or not, not clinging, not settling mm -hmm. in my spirit. Yeah, I understand. Because um, uh, I, I, I went forward shamelessly anytime I felt. <laughs> For prayer, yeah. Uh -huh. As we should, and, as we all should. And, yeah. and always, always had, you know, a deep encounter with the Holy Spirit. Mm, praise God. I, I miss Carrie deeply and grieve that my daughter's an orphan. I know that Carrie's in peace and comfort and dancing in joy with Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What more could I want? You know, yeah. what more could I want? Um, and I know I need to be here and strong for Sarah. Your um, granddaughter, yeah. Mm -hmm. My granddaughter, yeah. Who is essentially an orphan. Marilyn, uh, you were sharing a little bit. You were in a small group recently, and they asked you about uh, your thoughts about resurrection, what resurrection means to you, and um, would you, and you shared some of your answer, which I thought was beautiful. Would you share that with us uh, a little bit? Resurrection, absolutely real. I know the peace I have is knowing Carrie is with Jesus, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. I know answered prayers because heaven is real. 
Uh-huh. Jesus is real. Too many of my prayers and prayer requests of prayer, the prayer team have gone, have been answered mm-hmm. um, because of Jesus answering prayers. Yeah. And he says, whatever we ask in his name will be given. And if we pray the word and we pray scripture, scripture verses from our heart, of course, those prayers are answered because God is not a liar. Mm-hmm. What he says is his word, and he is true to his word. He, yeah. he answers prayer. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as quickly as we want, but he always answers it perfectly. You know? Yeah, yeah. What Jesus said is true. He goes to prepare a place for us. Amen. For, Amen. For, you know, whether, whether the, for me, that's a meadow full of wildflowers, beautiful flowers that God has created. And lots of time in the throne room. Lots mm-hmm. of time in the throne room. Mm-hmm. Hope there's room for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I have a confidence that there is. Confidence. Yeah, good. Resurrection for me is that me is that means that Carrie is with Jesus, and I will be with her again one day when the time is right. This morning, as I was sharing with my brother, he said that as he was driving over for the funeral, that God told him, "Carrie is safe with me." Mm. Another comfort. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I never knew until now. Yeah. What more could I ask or want? Yeah. Thank you, God. Well, Marilyn, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing. Uh, Thank you for your willingness to process continue. I'm so glad uh, that God has provided so much of that inner healing uh, work uh, within you and answered prayer in that way. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. I do believe. Help me. Help me overcome. Help me overcome my unbelief. The the Father in that beautiful prayer not only brings authentically that, that unbelief to Jesus, but he asks for help. He says, help me wrestle through this. That has been huge for me as, as I've wrestled and brought some of my doubts and stumblings and difficulties to Jesus. I not only bring them, but I, but I ask, Lord, would, would you help me get through this? What are you doing? What are you saying? How can you help? I think the the Father is modeling this idea that we get to ask for more faith. We get to ask for an increase. The the apostles, even though they stumbled and, and they were dull at times, Jesus said as much, but they understood that the way that Jesus talked about faith, the way he invited and engaged the apostles and people, that they were able to come and ask for that increase. We're told in Luke 17, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, that that request, that desire, and listen to how Jesus replies. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. He doesn't say, no, you don't get to ask that. No, that's not right. You either have it or you don't. He says, yes, that's right. You've got the idea that part of this journey 
is asking for that increase. I like to think of it like this, the, the climate of my faith. There's, there's, been, there's been times when I feel like the, the climate or the culture of my faith has been steeped in doubts and wrestling and struggle. And God wants to, to meet me in that moment, but he doesn't want to leave me in that place. He wants the climate of my faith to be one that I'm trusting him. I might not get it. I might not understand. I might experience prayers as unanswered or, or hold, and yet he's inviting me to walk and trust him in ever-increasing measure, deeper and deeper. I think we get to ask for an increase of faith, but I also think we get to ask for another kind of increase. One of the, what I would call the oddities of this passage is that when the, when the apostles get Jesus in private and say, what's up, Jesus? I, I didn't get it. What, how, come this, how come this didn't work for us? Jesus says, well, sometimes the only way to get this done is prayer and fasting. What I think is odd is that Jesus didn't drive out this demon by prayer and fasting. He just rebuked it. It was done. Does that strike anyone odd, or is it just because I'm odd that that strikes me as odd? Okay, I'm getting a waiver here. I would say this. This is how I understand this is that remember, Jesus is coming down from this moment on the mountain, transfiguration, and he is full of spiritual power and authority. And I believe that that prayer and fasting, part of the, the neat truths of this passage of Scripture is this is our neat way, that, that spiritual power, our level of spiritual power and authority. We've seen this the last couple of weeks, haven't we? That power matters. Our authority matters. And, and to ask for the increase of that power and authority is important and that matters. And if you want to grow in that aspect of spiritual power and authority to do the things that Jesus did, to pray for healing and to see that, well, sometimes prayer and fasting is the way to get there. Jesus modeled it also for us. Many of us know the story when, when he is brought to the desert and he faces temptation and he doesn't eat for 40 days and we're told that he's hungry. And then he comes back And I would think he was exhausted after this time in the desert of not eating. And and he has to take a break for a bit before he jumps into public ministry. But we're told that's not what happened. In Luke 4.14, as he comes out of the desert, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. Remember, this is after 40 days of in the desert being tempted by Satan himself, not Jesus not eating. And it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. You see Jesus ministering and power and authority flowing out from him, and then he takes some time just to be with the Father. Why? Probably many reasons, but one is an increase in spiritual power and authority 
for him then to continue to be poured out. You and I, that same dynamic, that same what? Same power, resurrection power that was in Jesus is in us today. We get to ask for an increase in that power and authority. There's a a number of folks in our community of faith. Our prophetic uh, stream leader, Veda Riley, felt it was on her heart by the Spirit to invite uh, some folks, uh, members of her Kingdom Life community, some house of prayer, to a 21-day Daniel fast and prayer. So a number of us, maybe 15, 20 folks, are praying and are participating in a, a certain way in a form of the Daniel fast and prayer, I don't believe it's coincidence that the Spirit of God put that on Veda's heart for this healing ministry sermon series. I believe that the Lord is wanting as a community of faith for us to increase in spiritual power and authority, to increase in faith. Do you need an increase today? What does it look like for you to not just remain in that that sense of that powerless place, but to, to come to the Lord and say, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast to allow your life, your presence, your power to fill me so that I might live more of the life you died for me to have. One more thing from this passage of Scripture before we leave it. I, I, you can see that the Father We don't really know his level of awareness of his own doubt, his own concern. But what we do see in the very beginning is that regardless of his level of doubt, he still brings his son, who is demon-possessed, to Jesus, or at least to the nine to begin with. He, you could say it like this, in an indirect way, he, he, despite his doubt and his struggles, he takes a risk. He does it. He brings, for the sake of his son, he brings his son to Jesus. A famous pastor, John Wimber, he said, I spell faith like this, R-I-S-K. If I see faith, and a crucial part of that is taking a risk, That's how God, in part, wants to grow our faith. Throughout Scripture, we see this this juxtaposition, this side-by-side, this doubt and this faith. And, And to take some risks, to get a little gutsy in our faith, is the climate in which God wants to do some supernatural things through us normal people. Again, returning to Peter um, and water motif. Not quite sure why the Lord kept placing this on me, but I was thinking about the moment when 
Jesus, uh, or when Peter, he jumped in the water earlier. Prior to that, Peter walked on the water. And, and oftentimes when we preach that story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking, we always, and probably I'm guilty of this too, we talk about when Peter starts okay, he has doubt and he starts to sink and Jesus grabs him and says, why did you doubt? Important part of the story. But I think what's equally important is the moment that Peter took a risk. We're told that Jesus is walking on the water and all the apostles in the boat, they're freaking out and they're afraid and they're unsure of who Jesus is. And listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Right? So all of them are afraid in the boat. Listen to Peter's response in that moment. Lord, if it's you, replied Peter, tell me to come to you on the water. I imagine the apostles would have been like, what? Peter, no, crazy. In the midst of his fear and trembling, Peter says, okay, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus, his response is not, Peter, I'm the man, you're not, stay in the boat. What does he say? He says, come, come. Friends, I think we need to start getting a little gutsy in our faith. Can we start spelling faith? R-I-S-K. Can we start taking risks, especially in healing ministry? We, we've been doing this. We've been pressing it. Would you do, even in the midst of a, a doubt or, or, or a concern, or I might get egg on my face. I, I might look, I might ask, could we start taking some risks that aren't so safe, that if God doesn't show up, we might get a little embarrassed? I think if we start doing that, that is a climate, that's the, that's the soil in which God starts doing extraordinary things through you and me, ordinary people. I want to invite the worship team forward. And at home, would you with me, try and close your eyes and listen for what the Spirit is saying. I think that for all of us, one of these things that the Father models for us is important. What's that one that's important to you? Do, do some of you, are, is the, the, the block and barrier in your faith, you have some doubts. You have some struggles, some sin. And you've been concerned that the Lord is going to count you out because of it. Maybe that's your thing, that this morning you need to get real and honest and trust Jesus is about restoration and not condemnation. 
in these next couple of minutes, would you just bring that, that doubt, that sin, that struggle between you and the Lord, would you bring that to the Lord? For some of you, you've been journeying, you've been walking, and you've recognized, like the apostles in that moment, that you need an increase in faith. Like the Father, you need to say, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. Or maybe like the apostles, there's a sense in that calling that we need to pray and maybe fast. Maybe you've never fasted before ever in your life. This week, just leading up to to Pentecost Sunday next week, that in some form you want to fast and ask the Lord for increase in spiritual power and authority. If you've never done that before, connect with me or, or Veda. We'd be happy to talk to you about staff, uh, uh, fasting and prayer. And then third, some of you, I think I really fall into this category. We need to start taking risks. Let's not play it so safe. Let's not look at results. Let's listen to the Lord and pray for maybe folks that are not believers. Maybe simply to say, you've shared this concern. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in the power of prayer. Can I pray for you? If they say no, that's okay. Pray for, you. Pray for them on your own. If they say yes, take that moment and step in with a bold, risky, gutsy faith and pray for healing and restoration. It might just be that divine appointment that God has been waiting for you to bring that sense of gutsy faith. Would you just take a moment between you and the Lord and listen? What is he saying? What is he inviting you to? Lord, we're, we're listening. The ears of our hearts are open. Lord, what are you inviting us to as a congregation? What are you inviting us to as individuals? Lord, we with all of our hearts, want to join you in your kingdom ministry in this broken world. We want to be a part of your healing and restoration and renewal, Lord. Would you help us, Lord?